0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. Amen. Uh, I want to I preach a message today in part three here of, of Learn to Love. And uh, I want to talk about the question, and I'll develop this, but I'll just put it out there right to start. I want to talk about the question, how do we engage our culture in important discussions and debate? Uh, in a way that is loving, okay? Because we live in a free society and, uh, and, there's, and there's different extremes of where Christians are on that. So some Christians are so afraid to engage the culture. They're so afraid to talk about important issues that they just go totally silent. They, 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 it's just like, I, it's better for us Christians just to be quiet. And uh, I, I wonder there sometimes if, how, how are we ever going to be salt or light? If we aren't talking and engaging on important topics as Christians, if Christians are silent, how is God's wisdom going to come into these important discussions? Now, on the other hand, uh, you have other Christians who engage in every discussion, but they engage from place of, of outrage. And so here we are living in a, in a time, living in a season, particularly when there's uh, lots of discussion, lots of political discussion, debates, different things like that. How do we as Christians engage in this season in a way where we don't lose our light? Where we don't, on the one hand, hide our light under a basket, and on the other hand, where we don't lose our light in the way that we engage in, this, in these things. And uh, one of the things I think we need to be really careful about is we're living in a time, and lots of people have talked about this. This isn't a new revelation for any of us, but we're living in a culture of outrage, okay? Everybody these days is outraged. And, and part of that is, is, is just the medium of social media allows people to be outraged, but, but everybody's outraged these days. I'm not just talking about Christians, I'm talking about non-Christians. I'm talking about the whole uh, culture. The internet is full of outrage. Uh, the news media is full of outrage. Politics is full of outrage. And, uh, and then, of course, many, many, uh, you know, we are full of, of, of outrage and social media and all of that sort of, uh, sort of stuff. So, my question today is uh, and, and again, some things actually people need to be outraged about. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm going to show you a story in just a moment where Jesus was outraged, okay? Uh, so, there is a play question. There is a place for people to be legitimately outraged about legitimate in in legitimate ways uh, for legitimate reasons. Um, But I sometimes wonder if as Christians in this culture of outrage, I sometimes wonder if if we've started to get our own reputation for being outraged. And uh, there's no question I've been a part of this. I mean, uh, uh, you know, my personality is given to outrage. Uh, so, you know, the older I get, the more I try to keep that outrage to private settings with my wife, who then calms me down. LaDonna, as you see her here, she's so lovely, so wonderful. Um, and then I can go out and hopefully not express all the outrage that I do with her in, in private. Um, but, you know, so many of us as Christians, we take this publicly, and, and it feels to me like even within this culture of outrage, uh, I think as Christians, we've, we've even begun in some cases to get our own reputation within the culture of outrage for being uh, full of outrage. And I sometimes wonder if our outrage is doing more harm than good. Are we outraged about the right things? Are we outraged in the right way? Okay? And, And is our outrage making Jesus more attractive to our culture or is it making Jesus less attractive? And lastly, does the Bible talk about any of this? And the answer is yes, I had to cut a whole bunch, literally I had to cut a bunch of stories. Early this morning I was up and the message was too long and hopefully, uh, well, it'll probably still be a little too long, longer than I wanted. But, uh, but because the Bible actually talks lots about this, you say, what does the Bible have to say to us relevant to us today in this culture of outrage, in this culture of social media? And the Bible actually has lots and lots to say. And Jesus gives us an example of how to walk in a culture and how to engage our culture, not just hide from our culture, but how to engage with our culture on important questions. And, uh, and so I want to look at some of those things. But to start with, we're in this Learn to Love series. And I want us to keep in mind, I think the most important thing before we look at anything practical or anything uh, that the Bible has to say in some of these stories, uh, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And John 13, another reminder in this series on Learn to Love. This is, this is all over the scriptures. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Okay? Now, love isn't the only thing we're supposed to do. But as we've been seeing in this series, it is the main thing we're supposed to do. And everything else we do is supposed to be done in love. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. He's just summing it all up. Just as I have loved you. Now that now that's a challenge. Just as I, Jesus says, as I have loved you. That's the standard. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now look at this, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now let's just sit on that last sentence for just a moment. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, now that's very interesting to me. Jesus says there's something that is supposed to mark his followers. That's actually supposed to set us apart. There's, you know, there's just over 7 billion people on the planet, lots of human beings and lots of them aren't Christians. The main thing that is supposed to set us apart from the other ones, that people would see a difference is that there is supposed to be a supernatural. And it's not that non-Christians can't love. We see lots of, lots of examples of people in the world, human beings loving each other and loving people who aren't Christians. But we as Christians as a whole, as a group, are supposed to love at a level that is in general much higher and that is in general much more consistent than the love that is, that is uh, you know, that we see exampled in the world among non-Christians. This is what's supposed to set us apart. By this, all people, will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I want you to notice that it is not by your opinions and outrage that they will know you, okay? Now, again, I'm gonna get to that because there's a legitimate place for outrage. And Christians need to be part of discussions and and answering big questions and engaging the culture in important questions that are being asked. But I want us to remember keeping the main thing, the main thing in this learn to love thing, Uh, It's not just about loving people on the individual level. We're really talking today in today's message, how does the church be loved corporately? And how do we be loved as individuals publicly in a a very public culture where things are posted on social media and discussions are had very publicly? The world is going to know we are Christians by our love. Okay? When the world is going crazy, we Christians are supposed to be the ones that stand out because we have peace. We're supposed to actually be less afraid than the world, not more afraid. When the world is full of fear and hate, we are supposed to be walking in love. So much so that the world can look and say, those people are Christians. There's something different about them. Now I want to, off of that, keeping the main thing the main thing, I do want to talk about this because I know that some people will focus on the love thing as Christians, and they'll take that to a place where Christians shouldn't talk about difficult things. And it's not that Christians shouldn't talk about difficult things. Christians should talk about different, difficult things. It's just that we need to do all of it in a spirit of love. But I want to show you an example of Jesus being outraged, okay? So, uh, you know, so first we set the main thing, the main thing. Now I'm going to muddy the waters just a little bit, and then we'll get some more clarity again on the far side, okay? So Jesus just said, all the world will know you are Christians by your love. Now let's look at a story of Jesus in Luke 19, and something that does not look very loving, Okay. Luke chapter 19, verses 45 and 46. And we could look at the whole story, but we're, we're just gonna cruise in this, in this message. And that's a, that's a painting. I, I don't think I've ever put one up in my uh, message. I did not paint that, okay? Uh, it's like a few hundred years old. But anyway, um, and it says this, and he entered, and by the way, I think Jesus was a lot madder than he looks in that painting. But anyway, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, okay? They were selling animals, pigeons, and sort of that sort of stuff in a courtyard of the temple. Okay, and they were distracting people from worship. In fact, they were keep, particularly they were in the court of the Gentiles. They were keeping the Gentiles. That's part of why Jesus is so upset. They were keeping Gentiles from entering in to be able to worship God and really experience God. And, uh, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Now, if you read this story in John chapter two, you get all kinds more details. You'll see that he, it, like his outrage was actually premeditated. He actually formed a whip out of cords and physically drove uh, the pigeon sellers and animal sellers and money changers out of the temple. Okay, so now that is a story of outrage, okay? So we just looked at Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you, like my followers, if you, if you love one another. And then we have this story. It's like, what do we do with that? Okay, what, 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 what do we do with Jesus doing this? Like, um, this light smashing kind of thing in outrage, okay? Um, okay, so that's interesting. Some of these things we just have to kind of hold, hold a little bit loosely, okay? But now I want to show you a different story, okay? I'm going to go to Luke 13. And like I said, I'm going to just muddy the waters a bit. And, and the first thing I actually want to do is just shake our confidence a little bit that, uh, that we know all the time what Jesus' heart actually is. Because I mean, in the temple situation... Uh, you know, we can kind of work ourselves around and figure out, okay, yeah, that makes sense. They were keeping Gentiles from entering into worship for God. Okay, it makes sense that he would be, you know, zealous for that. And so, you know, there's some outrage. But then there's other stories where, you know, I would think he should show outrage and he doesn't. And he doesn't. So I wanna, I wanna show you Luke 13, a story that actually makes me 2000 years later still feel outrage. And Jesus does not show outrage. Okay, Luke 13. And, uh, and it says this, verse one there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, okay? So now we don't know anything else about, like this is current events, okay? Jesus is walking around and he's preaching and teaching and people would ask him questions about current events. And so someone asks him about something that had just happened and the Bible doesn't give us any more details about what happened, but just from this question, we can see that, that something had happened, you know, somewhat recently, whenever in the recent Uh, you know, past uh, that, uh, that Pilate, the governor Pilate had murdered some Galileans Jews, some Galilean Jews at the temple while they were offering their sacrifices. And not only did he murder them at the temple and who knows what his motivation was or, or what caused that, he had then taken their blood as just an act of desecration to the temple, as an act of, you know, grave insult to the Jewish nation, had taken their blood and, and put it on the altar and mingled on the, the holy temple altar had mingled their blood, their human blood that he had just murdered with the sacrifices. Now that is an outrageous, wicked, evil deed. I mean, it's just terrible, okay? Now, in light of the story we just read where Jesus takes a whip and drives pigeon sellers out of the temple and money changers, uh, this is the kind of event where, you know, in light of that story, we would think, okay, now Jesus is gonna go off on a rant, okay? Uh, like I feel going, like going off on a rant right now about Pilate, because that's, that's sick. Okay. That's, that's twisted. Okay. But when we look at Jesus's response, it's like super measured. Okay. mind. you know, outrage. Uh, He doesn't even really talk about Pilate. In fact, he brings it back to the people who are talking to him and he says, you guys should repent. Okay. So look at this verse two. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, I get, there's a whole rabbit trail I'd like, I'd like to go down there because this, this verse, we don't totally get the context. Jesus is actually warning the whole Jewish nation that, you know, if, if they don't repent, like he's actually there to save them. And if they follow through on what he knows they're going to do, which is crucify them, then he can't protect them. And the Roman nation, the Roman empire is going to crush them, which is what happened in 70 AD. It's actually a warning to the nation. Okay, um, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's a warning to the nation, not so much to these individuals. But, uh, but anyway, um, it's interesting to me that, so in the temple, he drives out the pigeon sellers and he's angry, but now Pilate does this wicked deed. And instead of even talking about that or even mentioning how bad it is, he says to the people asking him, you, you should repent. Your whole nation should repent. Okay, now, before we take any wrong lessons out of this comparison of stories, Okay, I want to just make sure right up front that we all understand one thing. Murdering those people in the temple and mixing their blood in with the sacrifices is way worse than selling pigeons in the temple. It just is. You know, sometimes I think we get in this thing, um, you know, we think that some of the things that the Pharisees were doing in some of the New Testament was worse than what the Romans were doing because we see Jesus, you know, rebuking them so strongly. Let me tell you this, it has nothing to do with how bad the sins were murdering someone in a temple, mixing their blood in with the sacrifices. Okay, that is worse than pigeon-selling. And I can just show, I can show you that all over scripture because the scriptures are clear that God hates murder. Okay, it's just, end a sentence, okay? Look at this, Proverbs 6. Let me show you just two quick passages here. Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Okay? By the way, this kind of stuff pops up all over the, uh, the Old Testament and the scriptures. Murder is an abomination to God. He hates it. Look at this, Leviticus 24. That's why in the Old Testament, the most severe penalty was reserved, uh, you, know, for, you know, for murder. So Leviticus 24, uh, verse 17, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. So uh, what do we learn from that? God hates murder. So let's go back to, you know, Pilate and Luke 13. When Pilate killed those Galilean Jews and mingled their blood into the sacrifice, I can tell you categorically based on scripture that God's heart was full of wrath and anger. He hated that action. And Jesus is God. So we can safely say that Jesus hated what Pilate did. So how do we explain the two different reactions? Okay, how do do we explain that? Uh, How do we explain, you know, in one situation, where someone has done something absolutely wicked and horrible that Jesus hates. And we know that biblically. And he, but he says nothing really about it. He doesn't show any anger. He doesn't address it. And then this other situation where he physically drives people out of temple. And there's a bunch of things going on here. I just want to pick up on one though. And, but I also want to leave us a little bit with a, myth, with a little bit of a mystery. Uh, and why the, 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 the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer in getting God's heart. Uh, Jesus will often surprise you. Isn't that true? He will often just surprise us. The things we think we should go off about, he's actually not going off about. Even if he is angry about them, whether he expresses it. I mean, in the Pilate situation, there's no question he hates what Pilate did, but he doesn't express it. Jesus will often surprise us. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that prayer is so important, okay? Okay. But there's, it's, it's more than just prayer. There's some actual principles at work here that I think are, uh, are really important. And the first one I want you to notice here, and, and, and we can't get into a bunch. There's actually a bunch of things going on in these passages that I just don't have time to get into. But one of the main things I want you to notice is uh, in the Luke 19 story in the temple, Jesus is expressing his outrage directly to the people who are responsible for doing wrong. And in the Luke 13 passage, Jesus is being asked about someone else, Pilate, who isn't in the conversation and isn't there. And I actually think that's a really important distinction for us to keep in mind, even as Christians, as we're addressing things publicly, uh, and it's not always true, but it's something to to really keep in mind. Um, The difference that we see with Jesus here, and you'll actually see this throughout the gospels over and over again. When people talk to Jesus about someone else, he very rarely expresses outrage. He usually brings it back right to who is in front of me right now. I want to talk to you. Okay? I have no doubt if Pilate was with Jesus and Pilate talked to Jesus about what he had done, Jesus' response would be very different than when he's talking to somebody else about Pilate. Okay, that's interesting. But when Jesus is actually in the temple and he sees these people keeping, uh, you know, Gentiles in the outer courts there from entering into worship of the one true God, then he's upset and he expresses that outrage to the people, the perpetrators right there, okay? So that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Um, when, we're, you know, when we're tempted to express outrage, are we talking to the people responsible or are we ranting about the people responsible? Okay, that is an important thing to, to, to keep in mind. Now, I have no doubt, you know, on judgment day, I would hate to be Pilate, uh, unless he gave his life to Christ, uh, you, know, you know, and we just don't know about it in the Bible, that could have happened later in his life, uh, which would be really cool. And then he's forgiven. I mean, we can be forgiven of the most, you know, horrible things. But on judgment day, when Pilate actually stands before God, to give account for his life, if he didn't give his life to Christ, if he didn't receive that forgiveness, I mean, it's going to be horrible for him to give account for some of those murders, okay? But when Jesus talked about Pilate, he didn't express outrage to everyone else about Pilate. Um... And I think that's really important. Now, this is true on an individual level and on a level in terms of our corporate testimony uh, as believers. So on an individual level, uh, you know, before you rant about your boss, have you actually talked to them? I mean, that's just, and I'm going to show you a bunch of passages in just a moment. But we're talking about Christian witness here. And they'll know you are my followers if you have love for one another. Are we any different in the world? You know, before you rant about an employee, have you talked to the employee? Before you rant about a family member to someone else, have you talked to the family member? I mean, Jesus sets us a powerful uh, example here, but it's also true in terms of public discussion. Um, and, and we're going to get more into this, this thing here, but, but uh, into some specifics. But, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. And by the way, it's important. I have Uh, I think Christians should have opinions about things. And the reason I think that is because we're human beings. (laughs) Part of being a human being is having opinions. If you take the opinions out of a human being, you have a boring human being, okay? Just plain boring, okay? We're human beings and the way God made us is he made us with opinions. And so part of being a human being is having fun at the dinner table or sometimes not so fun. But you're, you're discussing ideas, and in the public square, discussing ideas, trying to make things better, trying to come up with solutions. People having opinions about things. I mean, sports is all about opinions. You pick some random team, and then you cheer for them and hate these other guys, and there is absolutely no reason other than you just picked one, you had an opinion, and there you go, okay? And I'm, I'm the worst at that, I love it. I'm not even apologetic, okay? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rabid, you know, fan. Uh, so that's fun. So, but before you rant about, let's say the medical system. One of the things, I've been a ranter much of my life. And just part and parcel of my personality, I guess. And hopefully as I get older, I'm, I'm growing out of that and by the grace of God. But you know, it's amazing when you talk to people on the other side of something, how often, even if you don't end up agreeing with them, it's amazing how hearing somebody on the other side does a lot to temper the outrage. And so it's one thing to have opinions. Oh, we have opinions about the medical system. We have opinions about that. And it's, it's important to have opinions. We're human beings. I wouldn't expect anybody to not have opinions or to, or to have to be completely silenced about their opinions. But you know, before we go off on all kinds of rants about different things, have you ever talked to some actual doctors? We have lots in this community. We have lots in this church, lots of Christian ones, lots of non-Christian ones, lots of nurses in this community. Have you ever talked to some doctors and just said, like, what are, you know, I have some strong opinions that I've been voicing all over the place, but what what are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's your perspective on this? You know, we have lots of of opinions about, you know, um, the government and things like that. Again, important, especially in a free country. We need to have opinions. We need to share them. We need to discuss them. Okay. But have you actually talked to someone? Whether, you know, when it's, you know, city matters? Have you ever actually talked to a, a counselor or do you just rant about them on Facebook uh, or, or in an email? Have you ever actually sat down and listened? What's their perspective? Have you ever listened to a government official? What are they, what are they actually saying? Have they ever talked? Okay. When Jesus was talking to, it was much different than when he, when he was talking about. And I think it's important that we uh, talk to people first. Now, I know some of you might have an objection right now. You might be squirming a little bit. Oh, you're getting a little too specific during this COVID-19 thing. Ooh, I, you know, uh, you're, you're gonna step on some toes. Um, and uh, I just wanna actually just ask the question, what does the Bible actually say? So what does the Bible say about our Christian witness? Okay? And the point isn't just, we all need to be quiet. The point is, how do we keep the main thing, the main thing? How do we be salt and light while showing everybody that we love one another. Well, the book of James, uh, James had a whole sermon, James chapter three is a a sermon. Um, We won't look at the whole thing. We're just gonna look at at a couple of verses here, verse 17 and 18. And James three says, but the wisdom from above, so he's gonna talk about what does it look like to have God's wisdom? Okay, Now, now this is interesting because we often think wisdom is having the right solution or idea. Now that's part of wisdom, having the right solutions, right ideas. That's part of wisdom, there's no question. Having, you know, you know, we want things to work in this world. But as you're gonna see in the rest of this passage, there's more to wisdom than just being right. There's more to wisdom than just having good ideas, okay? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Now I've got three underlined. I don't have time to look at all the different ones in this, in this verse. But I've underlined three, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. I could could underline that one, but let's not go off that right now. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Okay, so three things jump out. Three things jump out here in in light of this message, peaceable. A person who is full of the spirit of the Lord is peaceable. Now, we already know from Jesus' example that that does not always mean quiet like a little lamb, or hidden over there, never shares his opinion. So this is not about us as Christians hiding our light or not engaging with the big questions of culture. That's not what this is about. It's not about fear, but peaceable. How do we approach these things? Peaceable is what the wisdom of God looks like. We're not constantly stirring up outrage and fear. We're actually stirring up hope and peace. Open to reason. Now that's an interesting one. We're gonna, we're, I'm gonna show you another verse yet, uh, Philippians 4 in just a few minutes. But open to reason. Uh, we don't often list this one in the fruits of the spirit, but this is a fruit of the spirit. Open to reason. You know what open to reason means? Open to reason means you're actually open to another point of view. Like you say, well, oh yeah, like I, I'm totally good with having discussions with people. Yeah, people you, who agree with you. Yeah, very easy to do that. Uh, Open to reason doesn't mean I can have nice discussions with people who who agree with me. Open to reason means I'm actually open that somebody else's opinion might matter or somebody else's solution might matter or somebody else's whatever. I'm open to reason. I'm not just on a one-sided rant and everybody on the other side to me is this evil, wicked, terrible person. I'm actually open to the fact that the people on the other side from me are actually human beings. And even if in the end, I think they're wrong, I'm open to reason. I'm open to listen to them, to truly try to hear them out. That is really important in these days in this day and age. And as Christians, if we could model open to reason, uh, I don't think Christians should, should, should have to retreat from every debate because then we won't be able to be light. But could you imagine if we would be able to engage in public discussion in such a way that everybody would go, wow, I really like talking to Christians. Like they 're open to listening they 're open to reason, they love to talk about the issues, but they bring hope to this thing and listening, even if we disagree. impartial that impartial world word isn 't that amazing impartial that 's one, one of the ways we love one another and they will know you are my followers. but if you love one another, impartial means. I can go into a discussion with people who, who it just looks like, like black and white. They are just so opposite from me. They're just opposed to Christianity. They're opposed to whatever it is that you feel. But actually, I'm impartial. I can go in and, and, and hope the best. And I can listen to their ideas. And I can be impartial. The world needs to see Christians who engage with them like this. The world needs to see this desperately needs to see this. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. By the way, we can look at verse after verse after verse. The scriptures have a lot to say about this. A harvest of righteousness. But I wonder sometimes if as Christians in our goal to be right, we're so convinced about certain things that in our goal to be right, we're just steamrolling people with with kind of one-sided outrage. And in the end, we're losing the harvest of righteousness. Harvest of righteousness doesn't come from just spouting Christian ideas. It comes from presenting Christian ideas in the proper way. In a way that is impartial and sincere and open to reason. And then a harvest of righteousness is sown where people actually want to know Jesus. The opposite of outrage is not silence, but reasonableness. I just want to say that. The opposite of outrage is is not silence. And and that's where I think, you know, as Christians, we can swing to either side. You know, as Christians, sometimes we can swing into outrage and I've been there and you're just outraged and you become known for outrage instead of love. But then sometimes we can swing the other way too, because we're so afraid of outrage, we swing over to silence, but then we don't shine. The opposite of outrage is not silence. The, The opposite of outrage is reasonableness, sincerity listening to people from the other side, engaging them in dialogue, making compromises, not compromising the truth of God's word, but making compromises in a sense of trying to meet people halfway. I think that's really important. And I think that as Christians, when we can model those things, when we should be at the forefront of encouraging dialogue and discussion, reaching out to people who are on the various sides of, de- of, of debates, and then being the light of Christ to them. You know, during this season, because there's no question, this this message is particularly, I think, relevant in the season we're in. Because there's so many strong opinions right now about what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And that actually in a free society is a sign of a healthy, free society is that there's lots of ideas. And that we don't crush the ideas like they do in some countries. The sign of a healthy church, though, in that healthy society is a church that engages with those questions in the right way. And I think right now as Christians, this is our chance to show the world by this, all people will know. If we could be known more for our compassion than our outrage, there are so many people suffering during this time. On on every side, there's people who are suffering because they're vulnerable in their health or someone in their family is vulnerable in their health. There's people who are suffering in this right now because they've lost their business or they've lost their job. There's people who are suffering on this because they're isolated at home and they have mental health issues. There's people who are suffering from this because they're actually overworked. Some people have no work. Some people are overworked. There's people suffering on every side. And the more stories I have, the more compassion I have for people in each of the different places, and I think as Christians right now, we should lead the way in listening and telling the stories of people who are hurting and having discussions. How do we alleviate suffering? How do we better help everyone? You know, Jesus said in Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers. And he meant that. You know what a peacemaker is? Again, a a peacemaker is not someone who's swung so far over here that they're afraid of saying anything and they're just hiding. A peacemaker is someone who actually has the courage To enter into the arena where there's differences of opinion and people are on different sides and they say, let's listen. Let's bring this together. Let's talk. Let's come up with a solution that helps people. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's actually an action for they will be called sons of God. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verses four to five. Rejoice in the Lord always. We've been in this, we were in this uh, passage a number of times during the contentment series there a few weeks ago. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now look at here it is again, that word, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We are in a season where we get, we have an opportunity to show off reasonableness. When people aren't being reasonable, this is our chance to be reasonable. Now, this is where I wanna make a very specific challenge, and I want to look just very briefly, I want to end this message on, on, uh, on six, like a a little check checklist, six point checklist. And how we communicate with people. At the end of this whole COVID thing, because by the way, it will end. It will, all things end. Whether it ends in a couple of months or whether it ends in a year or two, I don't know, okay? But at some point we're going to look back, some point we're going to look back, And there's gonna be soul searching. There's gonna be soul searching. There's gonna be soul searching by all kinds of people. There's gonna be soul searching in the medical system. How do we handle it? There's gonna be soul searching in the government. How do we handle it? And there's gonna be soul searching in the church. How do we handle it? And when we look back on this season, what is society's impression of Christians gonna be? When Jesus was in the middle of a storm, He was asleep in the boat. Now, I don't think we should be asleep (laughs) right now. But he was so full of peace. He was the only one at peace when everyone else was freaking out. What is our testimony going to be at the end of this? Is everybody going to remember that the Christians were the most outraged and the most freaked out? Or are they going to remember Christians as being the anchor of peace? People who were unafraid to enter into discussion and have ideas and debate, but they did it in reasonableness. This is our, literally, I know it's going to sound so kooky and corny, but I actually love those things. That's part of who I am. This is actually our time to shine. Okay? Matthew 5, our time to shine. Jesus said, you, speaking of the church, his followers, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. We're not supposed to hide the light. We're not supposed to cower and be afraid to discuss hard things. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's in times like these that Jesus should make the biggest difference in our lives. That we can be full of peace when we enter into discussions and difficult cultural topics. We can be full of love when we enter into those discussions. And we're not afraid to have those discussions, but we do them with reasonableness and with sincerity and with impartialness. So, quick six-point checklist to end this message. A checklist before, and whatever it is, whether it's, you know, about... Uh, you know, some issue right now in politics or with COVID or different things like that, or whether it's some, you know, you know whether it's about abortion or, or, you know, same-sex marriage or whatever it's about. How do we as Christians engage with culture in a way that we're not hiding the light, but spreading the light, okay? Here's a six-point checklist as to help. And this is just some helpful points. Before posting, talking, writing, forwarding, have you talked to people you disagree with Or are you planning only to rant about them? Okay, have you actually talked to someone on the other side and listened? Have you ever gotten their feedback, how they feel? You're discussed with someone on the other side. Jesus did this all the time. By the way, you go through the gospels. Where is he constantly going? To Samaritan villages. Why is he doing that? He's reaching out to the people who are upset with him. He's reaching out to the Pharisees. He's reaching out to the poor. He's, he's, going, he's walking across the aisle and touching people who, are, who would, should be on the other side as him. We as Christians should be doing the same. He had a reputation for eating and drinking with sinners. We should have the same reputation. By this will all people know that you are my followers if you have love for one another. Number two, before posting, talking, writing, forwarding, have you spent time in prayer getting God's heart for the situation? Jesus might surprise you. It's possible to be right about something and wrong at the same time. You may might be right about your opinion. You might be wrong in the way you want to talk about it. It's not that we have to be quiet. It's, it's the how. Jesus will surprise you sometimes. The things you think you should express outrage about, he'll say, no, I want you to express it this way without any outrage. I want you to express it with compassion. He might surprise you. I know he might surprise you sometimes because he surprises me all the time when I read the gospels. Number three, before posting, talking, writing, or forwarding anything, do you have a heart of compassion for people on the other side? of the debate. Do you have do you have compassion before you're talking? Do you have compassion? You you want to see something really interesting? I've been waiting this whole message to do this. I read you read to me this message, Jesus clearing out the temple, Luke 19 starting in verse 45. Do you know what happens in the verses right before that outburst of outrage? Something that I think is should be very instructive for us all. Right before the story of outrage is this story, and I'm only going to read you one verse. Verse 41, this is right before the outrage story. And when he drew near and saw the city, so he's just coming into Jerusalem and the first thing he's going to do is he's going to go to the temple and he's going to drive the pigeon sellers and the money changers out. Look what he does first. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Before he expressed his outrage, you can actually see here, his outrage is based on compassion. He's weeping over the very city. He's weeping over those Jewish leaders who are rejecting him. And then he's outraged at some of the things they're doing in the temple. But that outrage isn't coming out of just outrage, it's coming out of a heart that overflows with love. And so, my question is to us as Christians the world needs to see Christians who, who only get outraged occasionally and only for the right things in the right ways, and only brimming out of hearts that have wept. And I know some personalities weep less than others. So not that you actually have to weep, but at least coming out of a heart of compassion for the people we disagree with. I think that's so important. Check checklist point number four. Check yourself. Are you spreading fear and outrage or thoughtfulness and dialogue? Are you spreading before you hit send before you post that thing on social media? Everything you do, people know you're a Christian. Do they see any difference? Is it just, well, I know Christians are different because they have different opinions, but in terms of how they express those opinions, they express their opinions just the same way as everybody else. No, the how should be different, not just the what. Are you spreading fear and outrage? Are people just more worked up after they've been with you? Or are they thinking more? Are they open? God, what are you doing? Are they wanting to pray? Are they full of peace? Look at this, James 1, 19 to 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Look at this, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of God, which we only see occasionally, comes out of compassion, as we saw. The anger of man just comes quickly. Have you spent time with the Lord and have you listened to someone on the other side? And are you talking and encouraging solutions and dialogue. Point number five, check yourself. And these, these are just guidelines again. This is not, these are not the Holy New Six Commandments, okay? These are just guidelines based on, on, you know, biblical principles and we then we do our best, right? But check yourself. I think this is a big one. Are you worked up about things that might happen? Or are you worked up about things that actually are happening? I think that's an important distinction. I think wise, I think if we're walking in wisdom and discernment, we're going to be careful to discern are we worked up about something we're afraid might happen? Or are we actually looking at real things that are happening? I think it's important to make that distinction. Um, you know, our Christian heritage is full. Our Christian heritage in history of the last 2,000 years is full of examples of Christians who fought for justice. It's full. I mean, you have only to look at, you know, for over a couple of centuries, how many Christians, and it wasn't, I know it wasn't just Christians, but a lot of Christians led the way in overturning the slave trade. I mean, they fought for justice. They weren't just silent on the sidelines saying, you know, we're just going to pray about this and let Jesus do it. No, no, they prayed, and then they fought for ju- justice. In many cases, they were actually outraged. And when you look at the, the, the civil rights movement, you know, in the United States in the, in the 1950s and 60s and stuff, Many Christians were a part of the civil rights movement. And, uh, and they were outraged. They were outraged by segregation and racism in the government. And, uh, and they fought for justice. Our, our Christian heritage is, is full of these things. But you know, it's interesting to me in, in both of those cases and in many others, I could cite the Christians who marched for justice in the civil rights movement weren't marching because they were afraid the government might become racist. They were afraid because you could actually see the racism. There were the segregated bathrooms. There were the segregated, you know, schools and on and on and on and on. They were against something injustice that was happening. Not one that they were afraid was happening. I think as Christians, we have to be wise and discerning. Let's keep things, you know, there's real things that are happening right now. Abortion you know, and, and, and marriage and euthanasia and different things that are going on in our culture. Let's talk about things. Let's try to keep it to things that are very real and tangible. And then let's keep it, um, let's keep it, well, that brings up the next one, respectful, peaceful. By the way, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Christian resistance to both slavery and the civil rights movement. Uh, some of the most powerful protests were the ones that were peaceful. Isn't that true? Like you look back at the history of those things when people marched nonviolently and sang hymns and prayed and stood for justice in peaceful ways they actually stood out. And we need so they weren't quiet at home hiding they were speaking up on the issues but they did it in a way that set them apart. Are we being a light in the way that we engage the culture learn to love we got to learn to love our culture. And lastly Are you using respectful language or are you using inflammatory language? Christians, I mean, I could, we don't have time. We could go to Matthew 5 and we could see where Jesus says that you should not even call someone a fool. We need to keep, when we engage in these discussions and debates, we need to keep it to the issues. We need to not call names. We need to not tear down. Are you using respectful language? Are you being careful in your language? Or are you using the kind of language that inf- in, in, you know, inflames anger and hate and those kinds of things? Well, I want us to take a moment of time for a little bit of reflection. I want us to take a couple of minutes. And um, I want us just to reflect. God, is there one thing you want me to take from this message? Many of you are doing this so awesome already. I I see examples in our community of Christians. I see examples in our church of Christians who are engaging these topics and they're doing it with a great tone and they're doing it with thoughtfulness and reasonableness. It's beautiful. Keep up the great work. Um, But I think it's great for all of us. Maybe some of you, what what side of of the spectrum have you swung to? Are you just terrified to even talk about anything? That's okay. Ask God to take away your fear. Are you on the other side where you're just spreading outrage and fear and anger and you have no peace inside of you? Ask God about that. But let's take a moment and let's just reflect. Is there one thing, God, you want us to take from this message or me to take from this message? And are you living and communicating out of fear or anger right now or compassion? What might God want to say to you this morning? I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to meditate on that. you guys are amazing and uh, we're getting to be the church these days and and that's actually exciting some hard things going on right now and we look forward to being back here together but you guys are I'm I'm seeing many testimonies and many examples of love and generosity it's exciting and uh, well I'm gonna pray for you I'm I'm hopped up on church coffee again which is great Uh, but I want to just pray for you and the worship team is gonna lead us in one final song of worship But let's go this week now and let's not hide our lights in our basket. Let's go and engage our culture and be a light of reasonableness and love. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would go to the root of any fear, anxiety that any of your sons and daughters might be feeling right now. Go right to the root of it. Help us even in scary circumstances to show the world that you make a difference in our lives. We can have peace. We can have peace and we can have love that is beyond what the world can give. Help us to engage with the world in ways that make you attractive, that make people want to know you, Jesus. This really is our time to shine. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at mysouthland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.